You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You're listening to BGN Radio with Brandon Lee Gowton and Jimmy Kemsky. Everybody, I am Jimmy Kempsky from phillyvoice.com, and with me, as always, on BGN Radio episode number 104, Brandon? Yes. It is Brandon Lee Gowton of BlittyRedation.com. Brandon, we finally have some news in uh, Eagles land. How are you? Jimmy, I'm doing good now that we actually have some real news to talk about, and not just a billion other things we're trying to string together to make into a podcast. It's, uh, (laughs) It's nice. How many coaching changes do we have here? Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight changes to the coaching staff. Do you want to read them off? Yeah, all right. Well, not necessarily changes, but some some new additions, some title changes. So you have Rich Scangarello. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. He's now the senior offensive assistant. Interestingly, the Eagles list him uh, at the top of any you know announcement of these new coaching changes. Mm-hmm. You know, in my estimation, that means that the Eagles kind of view that as a bigger occurrence than the promotion of press taylor to passing game coordinator so that would be number two as press taylor was promoted to passing game coordinator in addition to his um already in place responsibilities as the quarterbacks coach you have matt burke who was already with the team as a what was it a special advisor or a special assistant to jim schwartz is that sort of his title it was like eagles uh defensive special assistant okay well he's now the run game coordinator slash what defensive line coach <laughs> I love the run game coordinator. Like, wait, what? Huh? Like, uh, yeah. he was going to be, uh, like, he was taking over for uh, Jeff Stoutland or something. But that, to be clear, he's, the Eagles probably should have specified this. But he's the defensive run game coordinator, which I don't know if that exists anywhere else in the league, but. Uh, it does. That's, oh, it does? Okay. Yeah. How many other teams? Any idea? I saw a uh, good friend, Eagles Nut, on Twitter point out that at least, like, four other teams of do that. Of course, Greg Richards knows the answer to that. <laughs> of course he does. Yep. Uh, all right, so that's interesting. Um, and then uh, Mark Ann Manuel, we already knew about a week or so now that he was going to be the defensive backs coach. Uh, Aaron Moorhead is the wide receivers coach, replacing uh, the fired Carson Walsh. Which you had the scoop on, by the way. I, I did, yes. Thank you, sir. Uh, Andrew Breiner, or Briner, I don't know how to pronounce his name. He's the new pass game analyst. He's got an interesting mm-hmm. background. Maybe we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, TJ Paganetti, he's been around the team. For a while, he and his brother, he's the assistant run game coordinator now. Uh, in addition, uh, Yes, r- offensive run game coordinator. In addition to his already in-place duties as the uh, assistant running backs coach, Deuce Staley. And then Dino Vasso has been around the team for a while as well. He's now the assistant coordinator uh, defense. Uh, he was previously the defensive quality control slash assistant secondary coach. So, you know, nothing too exciting there. Any initial thoughts just from like a 60,000 foot view on how, you know, you view the Eagles offseason coaching change moves? Uh, I'm encouraged, I would say. You know, the way this shook out was kind of weird initially in the sense that the Press Taylor news just broke first <laughs> that he was being promoted to passing game coordinator. Right. It kind of seemed at the time like, okay, that was all the Eagles were going to do. It's like, all right, well, offensive coordinator search went dry and they were just going to promote press and like that was going to be it and if that was the case that would have been really freaking disappointing and it's weird too and i can't we'll get into this a little bit more but the fact that he's called passing game coordinator like you had pointed this out i believe jimmy on philly voice that that's essentially what mike grow was like didn't doug admit like that basically like what mike grow did like it took him a while but he did get there eventually yeah he didn't want to admit it for a while but he was asked pretty point blank like I think it was McManus during a in-season mm-hmm. press conference said, you know, is it just essentially grows the passing game coordinator and Stalin's the run game coordinator? And you know, 
and Doug was basically kind of painted in a glitter there. And he was like, yeah, yeah, I guess that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah, so Press kind of ha- – there's maybe an argument to be made that he has more responsibility now and that he also has the dual title of quarterback's coach. That's one of my biggest, I would say, concerns with this. Not in the sense of, like, I know it's going to go wrong. I'm, I'm, like, freaking out about it. Or that Eagle fan should be super worried. Like that's just a question. I mean, I don't even know if it's a concern as much as a question I have. Like, like what is the structure? Like, who is really in charge of everything here? Like, as you mentioned, Rich Scangarello. Yeah. You know, coming from the just having served just last year, you know, as an offensive coordinator, and now he's being you know listed as a senior offensive assistant. I had to just wonder, you know, what exactly the structure is going to look like. I like some of Scangarello's background. I think it's probably pretty important to start with him at the top. I mean, you yeah. look at what he did with quarterbacks so far, and I think that's important. I think bringing in someone who had a good history with quarterbacks, like that's a big reason why I wanted the Eagles to go after Jim Caldwell, which they didn't, but they brought in a guy in Rich Gangarello who worked with Jimmy G, and Jimmy G had success, Jimmy Garoppolo, I guess I should say, under him. Obviously, Nick Mullins uh, right, on the 49ers. Right, overperformed what anyone would have you know, reasonably yeah. expected out of him for sure. He was what? Like he was an undrafted rookie free agent in 2017. And I think in 2018, so a year later, yeah, he, he, he went like three and five. He, I think he had a passer rating in the nineties, you know? Yeah. For a UD, UDFA quarterback. And he was basically, he was their third string guy because he was behind, um, uh, Bethard, uh, in addition to Jimmy G. So like he played pretty well. And then drew Locke played well. Right, at the very end of the encouraging. Season. Sure. He went four and one. Uh, the stats weren't like gaudy, but still like he clearly looked a lot better than uh, the other quarterbacks that Joe, the Broncos were starting Flacco and Brandon Allen. Um, so there's, so there's some track record there. And obviously he worked with Kyle Shanahan, both in, in Atlanta and in San Francisco. So I think there's some value to that. It sounded like the Eagles wanted, wanted to get like one of the 49ers assistants, but they weren't able to. So I guess it's like the next closest thing they could get someone yeah. who's worked with Shanahan. So, I like some of the concept. Now, one thing I didn't like, and I read this in Shil Kapadia's article on The Athletic, is that he's not the uh, most aggressive guy, maybe, and maybe too conservative. Did you see this at all? I did not. Shil basically wrote on him that Flacco criticized him at one point for oh. being too conservative. <laughs> okay. You mean pe- uh, play, play calling-wise, you mean? Yeah, play yeah, calling-wise. Okay. Yeah. That's a good OC job there, too, by the way, in Denver, because the head coach is a defensive guy. So he, he yes. did have a, a desired offensive coordinator position there. He did. Uh, and Fangio, the head coach there, reportedly wanted uh, Scangarello to take more shots down the field mm-hmm. and overruled him in one of their games where apparently Scangarello wanted to take a knee to go to overtime instead of like being aggressive towards oh, the end of the game. I don't like that. Yeah. I, don't the, I don't even know the game situation. I don't like that. <laughs> so he was overruled, apparently, and okay. they got a game-winning field goal instead. But, like, yeah, I don't I don't. Oh, love they did, that they did part. win? Yeah, they did win, okay. but you know, not necessarily. Really, no thanks to him. And oh, oh, so so they so they didn't take a knee at the end of regulation. Yeah, he was overruled. Got it. Uh, okay. I guess like like that's what Skinner wanted to do, but you know, I and guess he ultimately has to. They won the game by not listening to him. Yes. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Got it. Got it. But I guess that's not insane to think of. I mean, because you know, thinking of the Super Bowl, we just watched like Shanahan, not the most aggressive guy there. So don't love that part. I would I would hope that's something that kind of like. <laughs> That is not brought with him. I wouldn't worry about that in terms of him because Doug's going to make those decisions anyway in game. Right. Doug's going to make any kind of um, high level, you know, go for it, don't go for it. Doug has always, you know, kind of had his foot on the gas. I mean, we saw what what Shanahan did at the uh, at the end of the first half in the Super Bowl, which was coward. I mean, just beyond cowardly. <laughs> like there's a little bit under two minutes left, and they just decided, yeah, you know what? Uh, if we have to punt, then the other team might score. So we're mm. just not going to try to score ourselves. Just, I mean, just mind blowing that a coach could make that decision and still in 2020. And obviously, what we saw what what Doug Peterson did at the end of the first half in the uh, NFC Championship game uh, against the Vikings, and then even in the Super Bowl as well. We all know the history there. So I don't think I wouldn't worry about necessarily, you know, Scandarello affecting Doug's uh, aggressive play calling. Which, if you're not on board with that by now. I don't know what to tell you <laughs> as far as Doug's aggressiveness. Uh, but I wouldn't worry about that. Did Shield extol any of his uh, positive traits? Oh, yeah. You know, just, you know, in terms of being working with the scheme, uh, Kyle Shanahan's scheme and, okay. and having like a, a, just a diverse background, stuff like that. So that's, those are the things I do like about the hire. Um, you're bringing in someone who, who doesn't like have, you know, you're not just promoting Mike Grow. basically is, is what I like about it. You're not just 
just promoting from within. Do you have any other thoughts on him before we kind of get into press more? Well, I think the uh, the formula that sort of worked the year that they went to the Super Bowl, the Eagles, that is, and Carson Wentz was having an MVP season before he got hurt, was they had like that good cop, bad cop dynamic where mm-hmm. uh, Frank Reich kind of played the good cop to John DeFilippo's bad cop. Uh, obviously, Press Taylor is going to play good cop in any scenario uh, with, with Carson Wentz going forward. I wonder if uh, he can be sort of uh, the bad cop to Press Taylor's good cop. That's a good point. And it sounds maybe like if, if Flacco had a problem with them, you know, mm, yeah. maybe he is sort of a bad cop. <laughs> that's a good point. And I, I think that's necessary because that's one of the things that's probably my biggest concern with Press Taylor being here. It's not that like I think he can't be a good schemer. Like I'm not so worried about that necessarily as much as it's the Carson Wentz relationship. Everything that I think you've heard, everything that I've heard is that Press Taylor Carson Wentz relationship is a little too buddy buddy, yeah. Um, as opposed to player coach, and I just I don't love that because I you know I think Carson needs to be kept in check to some extent. Like I, I think Carson should have some influence over the offense and and whatnot, but I also think he needs to be challenged and pushed. I mean, look, we saw him play his best football when he we did, he did have that bad cop dynamic when uh, Flip was here, and even going back to like Nick Foles. You know, he didn't like Bill Lazor. That's that's what we heard, right? Yeah. But he played great under him. He played his best football, or some of his best football, at least, under him. So I think sometimes that dynamic is good to have. I don't always love the idea, like, oh, it's a good thing you promote Press Taylor because he's close to the Carson Wentz. Okay, like, they should, yeah, they need to have a functioning, you know, work relationship, sure. But, you know, I don't want them to be, like, best friends and... <laughs> And not have the, have the kind of the coach element there too. So that's that's kind of the only thing I guess. And oh, the other thing I would say about the scheming element with Press Taylor is like, all right, like how much of his ideas weren't being used before? You know, like what what does this change? Like that's a genuine question, right? Because he gets credit for like the Philly special and whatnot, or like like putting that into the Eagles playbook or having a role in that. So they clearly were using some of his ideas at the very least, and in an important way, seemingly. Um, so that's the other question I have. Well, the idea generation is, um, you know, I, I think it was in, in the McLean article, Jeff McLean article, that he wrote something the day the coaching changes were announced, but before they came out that he said that, a you know, a primary concern of Lurie's going, you know, in, in this coaching search was to bring people in that would bring new ideas to the table. And Scandarello is sort of the guy that, that fits that. And then as is, um, I should really get a pronunciation on this guy's name, but Andrew Breiner or Breiner or whatever he is. Uh, he's a 35-year-old guy. In a, like like Scandarello, he has experience coaching quarterbacks. Um, he was the passing game coordinator at Mississippi State, coached quarterbacks there. He coached quarterbacks at Fordham. He was the head coach at Fordham, coached quarterbacks at Utah, uh, UConn, excuse me, Allegheny, uh, coached wide receivers at Allegheny and Lockhaven. So, you know, he does have um, that passing game uh, experience. And background, so he's another guy that that can bring new ideas to the table as well. From that perspective, you did bring in a couple guys that that will bring something new to the table. I really think they did mm-hmm. want to hire Graham Harrell, but when he fell through, you know, they, they turned to these two guys and said maybe they would have hired one or two of these guys anyway. I do think that they wanted to hire Graham Harrell, but uh, Harrell said, "Yeah, I'm good, thanks." <laughs> I, I kind of thought it was a little bit interesting that they didn't hire anyone really away from anywhere except for yeah. Aaron Moorhead away from Vanderbilt, you know, right. making a jump from college to the NFL for the first time. So, you know, that's pretty desirable for him. Like, but, you know, Skingarello was a free agent. You know, he got fired by the Broncos. And same, well, Briner was was available because of, uh, because Joe Moorhead's staff, not related to Aaron Moorhead, confusing, uh, at staff at Mississippi State, you know, they were let go after this year. So. Yeah. That's not to say like they can't be good coaches, but I just thought you know that's kind of worth mentioning there. And even even with um uh Markan Manuel on defense, like again, like he was he, he was out of the league entirely last year. Uh, so they you know they're, they're bringing guys in. So that kind of just I guess makes me wonder like to what extent can they actually get you know some of necessarily like the best candidates? And it was a complicated or it wasn't the most appealing job in the sense. Of, as everyone knows, you know, it's they're not calling the plays as an offensive coordinator in Philly. Doug's doing that. But I don't know. That's just kind of a smaller note I had on it. Who do you think they're going to give us at press conferences? That's a really, I think that's like important. And that's telling, right? It, it Isn't is. that telling? Yeah, <laughs> um, it is. I'm I'm going to guess it's Scangarello here if he's listed at the top and Me whatnot. Too. Yeah, that, that was my guess as well. I mean, he's, you know, he obviously had to do them last year as well, being an offensive mm-hmm. coordinator. So he's got experience doing that. Yeah, I think it'll be him too. And you're right. It is telling because it is. 
uh, sort of indicative of how they see the hierarchy of the coaching staff. Yeah, which is they already kind of they they already kind of reveal their hand on that anyway by placing yes. them at the top of the list in, in all their social media and and website and whatever announcements of the coaching changes. So that's another interesting thing I kind of mentioned earlier. I just I wonder how the structure is going to work. Now I'm not saying this is the same thing at all, but it kind of do you remember when like Jason Campbell was Washington's starting quarterback? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think I think it was when Jim Zorn was there. I remember they would show this graphic every week of this like super complicated. Remember that? Well, that was on play calling, where like yes. it goes to the booth and then it goes up to yeah. a satellite. It goes to the White House. <laughs> it, like uh, they they had it cross checked in Australia, and then it got uh-huh. to the uh, offensive coordinator on the field, who then relayed it to Zorn. Uh, Zorn used um, Morse code to the uh, the quarterback. <laughs> to Campbell and then Campbell would call the play and then the play clock would expire. Yes. So again, I'm not <laughs> saying that's the same thing here because yeah. Doug clearly calls the plays, but I kind of just wonder like the, the machinations of uh, and the power structure of it all. I guess like we're kind of seeing here that Scangarello is on top at the same time, you know, again, Press Taylor is having that same passing game coordinator role that Mike Groh had. And Jimmy, one of the coldest takes I think out there is that like, this is Doug Peterson's offense. Like, Yes, it is in the sense he calls the plays, but yeah. I don't. I still think it's important, like who they hire, because when you look back at when Eagles had the success they did with Frank Reich, like I, I went back and looked at some quotes about like Reich's role from both what he talked about on game day and then in game planning, and a big part of that process was Reich like filtering information from all the position coaches. He was literally doing his job, yeah, like coordinating the offense. He was coordinating from all the different position groups. Because, you know, the Eagles seem to rely on a lot of collaboration. And he would filter that information to Doug, you know, and I guess kind of give him the best of it or, you know, give him strong recommendations to go off of. So, you know, I still think that's important. I guess I guess we're going to see Scangarello do that. I'm guessing that's how it's going to be. So that would be interesting to see. And and with Doug, like his one of his greatest traits is that he doesn't have an ego. So he does welcome outside ideas from from all over the uh, coaching staff and elsewhere and from players and whatever. So when you have that coach, that kind of coach, uh, you, you want a, a heavy stream of ideas coming to him as long as he's open to it. So you're right. Like, you, it, it, certainly it is his offense, but, mm-hmm. you know, the, the idea generation elsewhere is, is obviously very important as well. As we saw in 2017, when they out-scheme teams like crazy week in and week out. Xavier Rhodes in the NFC Championship game literally said they're scheming the S out of us. And we, we really haven't seen as much of that in 2018 or 2019. There have been little glimpses here and there, but not on the same level that they did in 2017. Yeah, so I like that effort, I guess. And so overall, just to be clear, I like what they did in the sense of like the process of it, of like or the, the, the intent. I like the intent of what they did. Like They brought in new voices. I think that's what needed to be done. I think I've been very clear about that, that I didn't love the internal promotion thing. For a while now with micro and whatnot and just, you know, kind of just sitting on their laurels basically and not like trying to actually hire the best coaches after they really put an emphasis on that when they first hired Doug's staff. So I think that effort is good to see. I think if I'm just trying to look at like where could this go wrong, kind of looking at the downside of it, just trying to, you know, look at both sides of the coin here. Something that Les Bowen said recently about the medical staff, which is probably something else we should mention in the Eagles, you know, they... Yeah. They're not retaining uh, Sean Holes and Shireen Mansouri from their medical staff. I think Les made a salient salient, 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 uh, point here when he said, I think I've said this before, but more the more people the Eagles added to their training slash medical operation, the more problems they seem to have. Sometimes lines of communication and authority need to remain simple and clear. And it kind of just made me think like, okay, this could kind of apply to the offense too. I just, I would hope that, you know, they have a structure in mind and I mean, I'm sure they do. I'm not sure they're going to this blind, but, you know, I, I just wonder like, you know, how, cause you have to, you know, you, you as a team can have the structure in mind, but you also have to, you know, you, you hope the people adhere to it, you know, and no one's like, you know, trying to jump uh, or overstep their bounds and whatnot. So I guess that's just something to keep an eye on. So they're going with the uh, notorious BIG approach to the training staff, which mo- is mo trainers, mo problems. Maybe. Sorry. That was terrible. All right, well, let's take a let's take a break. But before we get to the break, and I forgot to mention this at the top of the podcast, mm. um, we do have a giveaway. We were going to give it away on this episode, but I am thoroughly unhappy with the number of reviews that we received after we revealed this giveaway during the last podcast. And admittedly so, there was no news going on. So our I don't know what our numbers were for that podcast, but they were probably down from from the regular that the regular total that we're used to. So now that we have some news, there's probably some more people listening. 
But we have a, uh, a Kelsey Brothers bobblehead where they are high-fiving. It's also maybe more uh, of a, maybe it's maybe a better prize now, too, now that Definitely the Chiefs is. have won the Super Bowl. But it's a, bo- a Kelsey Brothers bobblehead high-fiving whatever. <laughs> it's actually, so they sent it to me for free. They are selling for like 60 bucks with like $8 shipping. So, you know, they're worth 68 bucks, I guess. You maybe think of it that way. There's only a thousand of them. I'm told that they have, I have to mention that they are produced by FOCO in the email that I received <laughs> from them. It says, please note that any article mentioning the Bobblehead should be, should note that the, they, they have note there twice. I'm just going to read this, you know, as is. Please note that any article mentioning the Bobblehead should note that the bobbleheads were manufactured by Foco. So there you go, Foco. Good job. I will send you this bobblehead if you, well, we'll pick a, a winner at random if you review the podcast online, good, bad, or indifferent, and uh, we'll pick one at random, and I will send that bobblehead to you. We'll confer with you offline somehow that you are the winner. We'll get your address. We'll send it out. Actually, how did we say we were going to do that the last time? Do you remember? I'll figure it out. The bottom line is review the podcast. And you might win a Kelsey Brothers bobblehead. All right, Brandon. Back after this. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Back here on BGN Radio, talking Eagles coaching staff changes, and I guess other little things along the way. Uh, Jimmy, we talked about Sangarell, we talked about Press Taylor, and we talked about Andrew Briner, too. Aaron Moorhead, uh, I guess we should probably get into him before we move over to the defense, uh, especially because you got the big scoop on this. I think this is an interesting hire in the sense of any wide receivers coach the Eagles hire is interesting because they have not lasted more than one year since uh, Bob Bicknell when he was the last guy to last more than one season. Can you rattle off the the five before Moorhead? Uh, I can't. So it was Bicknell, 2015. Do you have it in front of you right now or are you really going to No, I just – yeah, it was Greg Lewis in 2016. Uh It was Mike Rowe in 2017. Obviously, he didn't get fired. He got promoted. Um, so he was still on staff, and then it was Gunter Brewer in 2018, and then Carson Walsh, unfortunately, in 2019. I had that Gunter Brewer scoop too uh, a couple of years ago, but I was asked not to report it until mm. he had a chance to tell his players that he was leaving. Yeah, and then as soon as he told his players that, it, that he was leaving, one of the players told somebody else, and <laughs> uh, they reported it like I don't know, like 30 seconds before I did. <laughs> <laughs> and I was so mad. And then I had to go back into my story and say, like, so-and-so had it first. And like, uh, <laughs> I had it for a while. Like, I had it for, like, hours. But I just was waiting for him to tell his players, uh, woe is me. Relatable. A lot of people can relate to this. <laughs> On the Aaron Moorhead hire, uh, he is a, a former player in the NFL. He played with the Colts for five years. Uh, interestingly, when I tweeted out that um, he was going to be their hire, Mike Chappelle, I think is his name. He's a beat writer for the Colts, longtime beat writer for them. Uh, he said, he, you know, his opinion was that it was a good hire and that he could tell, you know, pretty clearly during Moorhead's playing career that that's a guy that kind of had his stuff together. Coached at Virginia Tech for a couple of years, wide receivers. Coached at Texas A&M. And then, of course, they hired him away from Vanderbilt. Now, he had four players uh, that he coached in his three years at Texas A&M that uh, are now actually still playing in the NFL. And they are Josh Reynolds, who was a fourth-round pick in 2017, Ricky Seals-Jones, who's a tight end in the league now, but played wide receiver at Texas A&M. He went undrafted in 2017, but is still in the league, and I think he actually plays a little bit too. Uh, Christian Kirk, good player for the Cardinals, who was a second-round pick in 2018. I actually really liked him for the Eagles. And mm-hmm. Damian Ratley, a sixth-round pick in 2018. So... Uh, and then at Vanderbilt, he also coached another guy who's probably going to get drafted in the 2020 draft, a guy by the name of Collegio Lipscomb, who uh, competed at the Senior Bowl. So, you know, he's got, a, I mean, no huge names there, but part of that is who they're also recruiting. Didn't have anyone out of Virginia Tech that made it to the NFL. But he's, uh, again, Virginia Tech 2013-2014, Texas A&M 2015-2017, to 
Vanderbilt the last two years, and now he comes back in the NFL where he was a player. I think it's a good hire. How about you? I think it's a good hire in the sense of you look at the development, and I think that's certainly a focus the Eagles really need to care about, <laughs> considering you know they, they have to figure out how to get something out of J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, yeah. ideally. Um, and obviously, whoever they draft this year, too, uh, probably multiple receivers. Um, so development, definitely a key thing here. And I guess if you're looking at it from the sense of like, okay, they hired Gunter Brewer. He was a college coach. That didn't work out. At least Moorhead played in the league. Yeah. So you kind of give him that. Gunter Brewer had a lot of nonsense stuff going on. Like he like Johnny like, College stuff. <laughs> right. Like uh, he was calling his receivers the freaks. freaks. And like, uh, I mean, Matt Collins was a rookie the year that he was there. Coached them at, at North Carolina, of course. And he had like this. It was almost like a traffic cone that Matt Collins had by his locker that said, like, freak zone. Like, why was he for freak zone? <laughs> Which is so college, you know, high school type stuff. And I think I think Gunter Brewer gave him that. Yeah, that, that, that kind of crap doesn't play in the NFL. So when you have a guy like, like uh, Moorhead who, you know, has played in the NFL and for five years and knows, I mean, these are men in the NFL. These aren't, these aren't kids. So he Big, understands powerful. that. He understands, big, big, strong, powerful man. Uh, he understands, you know, the, the culture in, in, in NFL locker rooms, but also, you know, does have a significant experience teaching younger kids, which is going to be important, especially in this draft, because I mean, the Eagles are going to draft a wide receiver, unquestionably. They might take two. It's mm-hmm. only a matter of, like, when they take them, right? I mean, they're definitely taking a wide receiver, right? So the yeah. development of that guy, and he's also a bigger guy. So Moorhead was, I think he was listed at like 6'3", 200 in the NFL. I can't speak super competently to, as to what kind of player he was. But, you know, maybe he brings something to the table in terms of um, helping uh, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside uh, make progress in his second year. It's funny, like Car- Carson Walsh, how tall would you say he was? Is Like 5'5", five, five maybe? Yeah, like, you, I don't a, even know if he's that. He was a, he was a short dude. So I always found that kind of interesting that uh, he coached a position where height is kind of critical. <laughs> height, or, or yeah. Maybe not critical, but it's certainly advantageous to be a tall receiver. And, you know, they had enough, you know, I mean, most of the receivers they have are, you know, sort of guys that should be using their, their size to an advantage when playing the football. And I can't imagine he'd you know, be great in teaching that kind of stuff, you know, because he's a small dude. So uh, I don't know if that's a dumb point or not, that, that Moorhead has some size and played in the NFL or whatever, and he can maybe bring those guys along. Uh, he, he will have a, a, a number of new faces. Uh, we talked about this with uh, Mark Manuel uh, a week ago in that, you know, there's going to be changes to the secondary. So he's going to have, um, you know, sort of his work cut out in terms of getting all those guys on the same page. And that holds true to a lesser extent with Moorhead, who's going to have you know all these you know, a number of new faces, whether they be through free agency in the draft, and he's got to get them on the same page with the quarterback. Uh, the other thing I will say about Moorhead is he has big eyes. He, <laughs> I don't know, I'm sure you've seen. He just has like you know kind of you know, you're going to have to make a gift like you did with uh, Dave with Fipp, Fipp, Eagles yeah. special teams coordinator. I feel like you're going to have to do something with that. Fip and Moorhead are going to have like the the they're going to have the best <laughs> staring contest in NFL. <laughs> No one will blink for the entire season. <laughs> That'll right. be uh, something to. I, the the one last thing I'll say in Moorhead is that actually serious note is that you know Mike Groh had a, a role in the offense as the wide receivers coach. He specifically helped with third downs in 2017. Yeah. That was like a big thing and part of why he got promoted. So I guess it's kind of just another uh, like more college experience kind of maybe I don't know if Moorhead will have quite the same role especially because all these new guys they're adding. But just seems like another guy who might be able to bring some kind of new ideas to the table. So why not? I guess that's a positive too. Yeah, I wonder if they'll well. use them in that way, but that, that is a good, that is an interesting point. Yeah, and maybe they won't, but I just you know it's just another thing uh, to think about. And then I guess really the last one offensively is is minor. I would say to some extent is the TJ Paganetti promotion that we talked about. He was previously just the assistant running backs coach, uh, but now that he had assistant run game coordinator added to his title, which is like I think it's a little interesting because isn't like Deuce kind of that already behind Jeff Statlin? Obviously, he has Deuce has the Deuce Daly has the assistant head coach yeah. title. There were no changes to his title throughout all this, so I don't know. No thoughts on that. Paganetti is in the uh, headset with uh, with Doug on game day. I think it's Ryan. Ooh. I think his brother Ryan is the guy that's up in the booth. That's uh, yeah. That's radioing down to Doug, or not radio, but he's telling him he's like not to challenge. Yeah, they 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 kind of anticipate. He kind of anticipates um, situations. 
like it's third down and 10 or something like that. And he sort of talks with Doug. I'm like, okay, if we only get nine yards here, you know, we're going for it on fourth and one. Like he kind of goes over those situations with, with Doug um, so that he can kind of figure out play calling and, what, and whatnot during the course mm-hmm. of the game. So that's his brother, TJ Pagavetti, famously picked out the music when uh, Chip Kelly got to town. Remember that was a big mm. thing when Chip Kelly got hired and they had like the music during practice and everyone was like, "Wow!" Yeah, people were tweeting, this is tweeting amazing. each song, <laughs> <laughs> and I was one of them. So I'm not making fun because like I was definitely <laughs> one of those people too. Like, wow, this is cool. They're playing music there. Practice is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you talk back then. In yeah. fact, actually, uh, one of the things that helped me get a, a, a job in the NFL was uh, I I did a video of uh, a day in the life of uh, of an Eagles blogger. Set to Chip Kelly's music, practice, you know, practice music playlist, hmm. which uh, I watch now and cringe a little bit. But uh, <laughs> at the time, it was funny. Everyone, go look up that video. Yeah, he was the guy who picked out that music. And I, what one thing I loved about that music was um, he timed it up like he had like appropriate songs for whatever they were doing uh, during practice. Yes. So, for example, the pun, like when, the when, they, when they were punting, when Donnie uh, when Donnie Jones was, was punting, they they would play uh, "You Dropped a Bomb on Me." So, like. Mm-hmm. Donnie's punch would go up, like, as, like, during that song, it'd be like, <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, if he has that level of detail uh, in his job as, you know, a, and you know, the assistant run game coach and whatever, assistant running backs coach, if he has that kind of, de- if he puts that kind of detail in the, into the detail that he put into picking out songs, the Eagles assistant running backs coach job is in good hands that's good to know i'm uh <laughs> super encouraged after hearing that moving it around to the defense to me uh matt burke yeah who again joined the eagles coaching staff last year after getting fired as the miami dolphins defensive coordinator and who had previously been with jim schwartz in i both believe tennessee yes. and detroit yes um so both stops there previously for jim schwartz so they have a close connection. A little interesting. We kind of talked. We we had, we don't have to get super into this. We mentioned this, I think, in last week's episode that like it was looking like Burke was going to get promoted to that spot of defensive line coach. And I, you know he's never had any experience there. He's only previously coached linebackers. In addition to being you know most recently a defensive coordinator uh, with the Dolphins before joining the Eagles staff last year as a special assistant. So a takeaway I would have with Burke and then adding Manuel as well. These are Jim Schwartz guys. You know, like Manuel played for Jim Schwartz in right. his final NFL season with They're the Lions. They're both defensive coordinators. Manuel was defensive coordinator for the Falcons. Yes. But I think the Schwartz thing, you know, I think there's there's that's not a coincidence. And sure. so a bigger point here is like how many of these people are, are Doug Peterson really adding? Like how <laughs> like how how much say right. does he really have right. over when, this when, staff? When you've also couple in that uh you know, we got asked point blank of Grow and, or maybe like, I think Walsh was. It was I think, both. I think, it was yeah, Grow and I think Walsh. Elliot asked that if, if Grow and yep. Walsh would be back, and he and he said point blank, yeah, they'll both be back in the next day. They were fired. So mm-hmm. you, you you factor in that, and then that these two guys are both clearly Jim Schwartz hires, and yeah, I don't know how much uh, Doug really, really. I don't know how much say. I don't, I wouldn't say that. Uh, I don't I don't know if I'd go so far as to say that he doesn't have a say in the in the coaching staff, or he doesn't have a prominent say, but. I think when Schwartz is putting, you know, said, I want these guys, Doug's just probably like, fine, got them, you know? Mm-hmm. But in terms of Grow and uh, and Walsh, that seemed a little bit more like uh, some uh, some people above his pay grade were like, yeah, I don't know so much, Doug. We're, I think we're going to go to those guys. And I, I guess you would say that Grow and Walsh getting promoted were probably more of a Doug thing, right? You would say probably? I would say so, yeah. I would think Doug would really want to keep his, you know, obviously, like we just said, how he wanted to seemingly keep those guys. Um, probably also wanted to promote them in the first place. So, well, they I just lost, think that's... they lost Reich uh, pretty late in the process that yes. year because you know the, the, only, the only reason he got that job was because um, Josh McDaniels he backed out of that Colts deal. So that, that and that happened pretty late. I think that maybe even happened into like February. Yeah, because it was after the Super Bowl. Yeah, they got they had a little bit of unlock there, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that factored in. And, it's, and, and I, I think that factored into you know the idea of promoting somebody as opposed to bringing him from the outside because you know, everyone was already hired by them. So, uh, but yeah, I, I would agree that uh, <laughs> I would agree with your sentiment that 
you know, may not be Doug making all these decisions. I also think there was talk that Burke, uh, like Corey Unlin, wanted to bring Burke to Detroit. Mm. Uh, so I think okay. um, I, I guess the Eagles felt pressure to kind of promote him. Um, and, okay. and also subsequent, subsequently get rid of uh, Philip Daniels, their former defensive line coach, in the process to make that room for him. So uh, I, I just think it's an interesting note. Uh, you know, Jeff McLean had that story during the 2019 season about how Jim Schwartz does have a lot of power in the organization, specifically as it relates to personnel. He was talking about, I think, in that McLean article, and I think it's clear in coaching, too. So, uh, and, and, you know, it is Schwartz's fifth season here, so he's been here for a while now. You know, again, I think it's worth noting. Uh, do you, anything else to you, I guess that stands about and stands out about any of these coaching hires? No, that's probably about it. Okay. But yeah, uh, on the whole, I would say I would give it like a, uh, a cautious one thumbs up, one thumb up. I think that's a good way to put it. I think the intentions were good ultimately. And I think for not oh, being you know able what? to I'm get. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We, we got to cover the lack of a promotion or anything at all for, for Deuce. Yeah. Well. Yeah, I mentioned that. He's, I said... Um, he's the omission. They didn't do anything with him. They didn't adjust his title. You know, it, it seems pretty clear that Deuce does not have upward mobility here with the Eagles. Like, unless Doug, you know, something happened to him, God forbid. Like, right. I mean, it, that's like that's the only way I could see something happening. Because yeah, he's not... Yeah. So, yeah, it's not great for Deuce. So, I, I, I said, uh, cautious one thumb up, where are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about there. I'm not like, you know, if I'm looking at this from an Eagles fan perspective, I don't think, and just kind of gauging the temperature from the comments on bleedinggreennation.com and Twitter and everything. I think people, some people are kind of a little too like, who are these guys? Like, I've never heard of them. And that, like, that <laughs> right. doesn't mean everything. Like, you don't necessarily have to hear of them. Like, was anyone really excited when the Eagles added Frank Reich? And the answer is no, because right. I remember. Did, I, did anyone know, like, the, that 49ers uh, defensive coordinator that everyone loves? Did anyone hear of him before he got hired? You can't just go on name recognition, is my point. I like that they tried to add new ideas to the offense. I think that's really the most important thing. Defensive hires, I honestly really don't even care about a ton um i think because the, the, the offense is clearly such has been such a big issue for this team and, yeah. and and look like none of this matters if they don't get the right players which we'll get into uh in the next segment with howie here but like they they have to get the players like <laughs> you can't just hire aaron moorhead you know and and they don't draft the right talent a wide receiver and you know and expect good things to happen like they got to get the talent here i think the coaching i think the coaching that they assembled is good enough that if they get the right talent, it should click. That's how I feel about it. Okay. Let's move on to Howie. We'll, t- we'll, we'll take a break, and then yeah, we'll get into that break. in our final back, segment. Back after this. Back here on BGN Radio, Brandon Lee Gowton and Jimmy Kemsky talking to you, Eagle Sands, about the guy who is in charge of the team and is going to be making a lot of key decisions this offseason for the Eagles, who have a lot of work to do. Howie Roseman. Jimmy, uh, I think this is a important thing to talk about because when you're talking about the magnitude of this offseason and all the things the Eagles need to address, like there's a lot of pressure on Howie. And look, Howie himself set the table for it in his and I think he did a good job, to be fair to Howie. Yes. I think he did a really good job of outlining, like, okay, we need to get younger. And he also was realistic about how he hasn't been good enough. And I think that's kind of been a, a point of contention for some people. But I mean, he said it himself. Like he's he's like, I have not been good enough the past two off seasons, and I think that's apparent. Like they won the Super Bowl, yeah, and that was great. But then what did they do? Like they didn't build on it. They're you know they're nineteen and sixteen since the Super Bowl. Like they've been average, and I think Howie is a big part of that. I think the Eagles have with a quarterback and coaching like that's there, but I don't think the personnel has been up to par. Uh, so I did a poll on Bleeding Green Nation, Stay or Go. And Jimmy, you did one on Philly Voice as well. So it was 81% for me uh, in in the state poll, which is down from 97% at this time last year. And you said what, like 70%? Yeah, it's just a coincidence I happened to do that this morning. Uh, we're we're mm-hmm. recording this on uh, Friday, by the way. So sure it is, Jimmy. Sure it is. <laughs> I mean, it really was. People have, so mine was Stay or Go as, as opposed to like an approval rating. So people had him as 76.8% Stay. So, you know, mm. there's about a quarter of the people that are unhappy with Howie. And I think your point is good. Like, uh, you know, he was neither oblivious uh, nor delusional about sort of his shortcomings the last two seasons. Right off the, like, before we even started asking him questions, he led off his uh, opening statement with, "We, I got to do better. We got to get younger. And the team's injury history is not good, obviously. And part of the reason for that injury history is because the team got old. So like mm-hmm. he, you know, that's the kind of things that that you know we've been criticizing the team for uh, all year really, and he has he 
he also sees it, which is uh, which is a good sign. You know, you look at his uh, 2017 offseason, like everything worked. The draft wasn't wasn't great, but everything that he did that offseason worked. Uh, everything, and then like the last two years, you know, not so much. If we were like doing a, a should we do maybe a, a quick on the spot three round mock draft of the worst things that he's done? As a GM? Well, you have yours lined up. Um, <laughs> so this is why you want to do this. Uh, why don't you just go through yours? All right. So the, the three things that I had were um, he traded, he's traded away too many picks, in my opinion. Like, they've only made 10 picks over the last two over the last drafts. two drafts. So, and that's tied for fewest in the NFL, right? Right. The Titans. The Titans. Um, and then, I mean, there are teams that have had over 20. So they have fallen behind. Like, when you look at the number of, like, you know, core building block type players that are under the age of 25 on the team. What do you got? Like Miles Sanders, Dallas Goddard. Is that it? <laughs> like, you know, like I remember ESPN did that article last year and they ranked the Eagles last in that article, okay. like of, of under 25 talent. So that's a problem. And they have 10 picks this year is how he noted. And they got a hit on some of those, but they more importantly, they got to make, they got to, they have to make those picks, make the picks. They yeah. have to make the picks. You know, the, the one trade that I think they've gotten hammered for the most and rightfully so is the golden trade, uh, the golden take trade that they made in 2018 at the deadline for a three for basically what was going to be an eight game rental plus whatever they they did in the postseason. Um, and then number two, I had uh, you know the, the selection of JJ Ortega Whiteside and the subsequent uh, Alshon Jeffrey contract negotiation. I think those two things are kind of connected. Individually, those moves were both bad. But when you put the two of them together, when you when so when they draft, I and mean, we, we I've already said this, I sound like a broken record saying this, but when they drafted JJ, it was like okay, well, in my mind that meant all right, well, buy Alshon, like he'll play his final year here, and then I'll be gone in 2020, and then they redid his deal, they guaranteed his 2020 salary, and it's like okay, well now that draft pick doesn't make any sense because now you got two guys that have essentially the same skill set, and. Uh, you, you know, you're locked in with both of them. You know, like the, it doesn't really make much sense to have both of those guys on the field at the same time. And Doug even said, like, they both play the same position. So JJ wasn't getting him on the field instead of other players when Alshon was still healthy. I think that was a, a big miss fire. Like those two things combined was uh, you know, the drafting of him and then also re-upping Alshon. Re-upping Alshon on its own was also a really bad move, but the two of them together made it especially bad. And then, as we already mentioned, like just generally speaking, uh, number three, the roster just became really old. They were second oldest roster in the NFL when uh, the teams pared down to 53 players. And, uh, you know, the old guy market really worked for them in 2017 when they when they signed guys like Chris Long, Garrett Blunt, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But it really fell apart when they became reliant on that. And I get it. Like, I understand that, like, they were sort of, um, I guess – Cashing in on Looking under, they're trying to cash in a on market an, inefficiency. Under, an undervalued market, yeah, and it just didn't, and it worked that first year, but in subsequent years, you know, all those guys were getting hurt, you know, sort of uh, predictably, and uh, they were underperforming because they're kind of in their decline in their careers, and it was just an over reliance on that strategy. I think it worked for one year, but you can't keep, in my opinion, you couldn't keep going back to that well. Uh, over and over again, especially after it didn't work in 2018. Like, I understand why they went back to it in 2018. But when that didn't mm-hmm. work in 2018, I think they should have moved away from that uh, this past offseason. And I think they absolutely will move away from it in 2020. If they don't, then I don't know what to tell you. I mean, that's just that they're just kind of banging their head against the wall, going with the strategy that pretty clearly isn't going to work this offseason. So my big thing with Howie looking is like looking forward and kind of trying to gauge confidence in him. Uh, we can talk about that ourselves and also kind of in the fans. So looking at his track record, you know, he's 87 and 73, or the Eagles, I should say, are 87 and 73 since he was promoted originally to DM in 2010. And now the cov- the caveat here is that, like, you know, it's hard to, to parse all of this sometimes because Andy, you know, was still around and very influential in the beginning. And, you know, there was a chip year in there. But I'm including it all because he's been a common denominator right. in it all to some extent. Right. Um, so, yeah, 87, 73 in the regular season, and he's 4-4 four and four in the playoffs since 2010. Right. Now, you can't just take 2015 out just to piggyback on your idea. He, because, you know, a lot of those a lot of the you know, players on that team were guys right. that he picked. So it's, yeah, it's, harder, exactly. it's harder to put record to a GM, but um, 
when you have a long track record like that. I think it's fair to note. Yeah, I mean, and, it's 10 and years now. Po- and this record is positive, in my, in my view, and on, on the whole. Now, yeah, I, I generally agree with that. But now, take out 2017, which you can't do. I get, like, they won the suit. That counts. I'm not trying to, like, say it doesn't count, but I'm saying. <laughs> take out the, I'm at, one of the best general manager years ever. <laughs> right. You can't do it. And I'm, I'm not trying to take any credit away <laughs> yeah. from Allie. I'm just wondering. Like, my question is, was that an outlier? Like, was that just, like, you know, everything clicked? Because, and, and uh, you know, this goes back to a conversation we had during the season with Derek Sarley uh, of Eagles blog. Uh, you know, he he wrote he tweeted out, like, that uh, his theory that Howie Roseman is the Nick Foles of DMs. You know, he had, like, that one okay. really good season. So so outside of 2017, Howie is 74-70 and 70 and 1-4 and in the playoffs. And obviously, since the Super Bowl, the Eagles, again, are... 19 and 16 so it's just you know there's a there is a good track record here of like mediocrity besides that one really great year i guess two of my biggest concerns with him specifically as it relates to this offseason i mean what are the two biggest needs obviously wide receiver cornerback when you look at howie roseman's (laughs) track record at wide receiver and cornerback which is part of the reason they are an issue now like it's not good. Yeah. It's really bad. Corner free especially. agency, corner especially, and, and especially in the draft in both cases. And I think that's so important. Like, yeah, at least he's I, hit I, with I guess, uh, wide receiver free agents, but across to the board, some extent. Well, I mean, Alshon was good. Yes, although now it's an issue. But yeah. Yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, I put more. Maybe I didn't put as much thought into this as I should. But <laughs> he, he hasn't. But he in hasn't, the draft, so for I, sure, they have not been good. And cor- but corner across the board, free agency and the draft is both. They've both been bad. They've had yeah, big so they misses have, in free agency and even arguably bigger misses in, in the draft. They they haven't found a lasting solution really yes. at either of those positions. Like the one wide receiver they drafted, who was a long term player for them, who who signed a contract beyond his rookie deal. Again, was Howie. Ro- or it's not Howie Rosen. It was Riley Cooper. You know, this that's 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 what you have to show for it. Like that's terrible. Um, and then you know you look at the at the cornerbacks, and I didn't I didn't even include safety in here. They did, they've done better at safety, obviously in free agency. You know, you look at right, Malcolm Jenkins and Ronnie McLeod. Um, but you know, draft not so great. But yeah, at at cornerback, I mean, this is Trevard Lindley, Curtis Marsh, Brandon Boykin, Jordan Poyer, who you know has had success as a safety, but you know he was drafted as a corner, it didn't work out, got cut. Uh, Jalen Watkins, Corey Shepard was the chip year. Randall Evans, Chip Year, um, Blake Countess, Jalen Mills. You know, Mills has been fine for yeah, a seventh round pick, pick, but even still, he's not like he's not an above average starter. I would say he's like right. or, well, no, I think he's, he's closer he's to good average pick for a seventh round for sure. Like yes, great, great yeah. pick really for a seventh round pick. And we'll even see if he gets resigned beyond his rookie deal. Yes, TBD. Uh, Sidney Jones, Razul Douglas. You know, both both two players who did not play at all in the playoffs. Yeah, uh, were basically they played on special teams, and then Avante Maddox. So. Uh, so and that's the other thing. Like slot corner is one thing they have been able to kind of figure out a little yeah, Boykin bit. Boykin was very you know, good for until Boykin was great for a little bit there. Uh, Maddox is obviously I think talented and good, and I think he'll you know if he continues on his pace, I think he'll he'll probably be extended here. So and even in free agency, obviously too, you look at the Patrick Robinson strap. Uh, like they they found answers there at, at slot, but on the outside, like they're just not there. Yeah. So I really just wonder, like my, that's my thing. Like he's never really done that. He's never found that long-term answer. And I think wide receiver more than anything, it's so important for this team to like find a guy who can like grow with Carson Wentz. Like, I think that's so important, like to, to find someone who they can, like, who can just be Carson Wentz's guy, like for his career, not necessarily, you know, a hall of famer. Like, I mean, ideally, yeah, but not, I'm not saying like he has to be Marvin Harrison, but you know, like Marvin Harrison basically to, to um to Carson Wentz's Peyton Manning in this case, like they need to find that long term. And I just I wonder, like I wonder how confident you really can be in how we doing those things. You know, like I think the two things that we just discussed, a you know being able to hit on wide receivers in the draft, and then before that when we were talking about you know they have the ten picks and they got to make them, like you know they got to make those picks. There mm-hmm. are three receivers that I think are like sort of in the top tier, and then there's a drop off from there. So that opens up kind of a discussion on. Are you willing to trade some of those picks to move up and make sure you get one of those three top? I mean, we're talking about Jerry Judy from Alabama, Henry Ruggs from Alabama, and uh, C.D. Lamb from uh, Oklahoma. So that, <laughs> you know, that kind of opens up the debate over uh, whether those guys are worth going up to get if you have to sacrifice some of those 10 picks. I think, if you're asking me, I think it's kind of like an Andre Dillard situation from last year. Yeah. Where, like, you know, if, if it's a guy who just falls so obviously further than expected, and you're only moving up, like, three spots, just what they moved up last year. They moved up from 25 to 22. 
I think that's where like you have to do it. It seems like a, like a no brainer almost to me. Like if if they're right within striking distance, not like you're you're moving up like ten picks. Like I don't I don't really see that happening. I don't think they can be. I don't know if they can be that aggressive, but um, it's pretty important <laughs> that they get those two positions right, especially wide receiver, given how just the state of that position was abysmal last year and is just so critical, I think, to the whole operation here moving forward. Like, you know, I think they're probably going to be active in I do too. free agency yeah. when it comes to the cornerback, especially. Like, they, they have, they have to. to. I don't think you can. They have to get a receiver. They have no choice. They have to. They have to, but you also, I think you especially can't go into the draft needing a starting corner. Like, you just can't do that. Right. Like you yes. Can't. You can't. Like, yeah, that's not going to work. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know. Like, I don't, that's, I'm kind of at a, I guess, a little bit of a crossroads with Howie and when it comes to confidence in him. Like, I, I kind of, I need to see it. Like, you, you have to prove it to me. Like, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to just assume you're going to be able to do it. So, uh, and I think it's key. I think him having a strong offseason is, is key to this whole thing, to this team getting turned around. Not really breaking any news there, but, uh, that's where I'm at with it. Yeah, huge offseason. And, you know, I think we you kind of – I think, you know, we always say it's a huge offseason like every offseason. But I think this offseason, more than the last uh, two or three – the last two, anyway, are uh, – are, this offseason is bigger than the, than the last two for sure because they have so many picks and they have some cap space and they're going to be active in free agency where they kind of did in the last two years. They have to hit across the board. They have to hit in free agency. They have to hit in the draft. Have to. Because, you know, they have immediate needs, pre-agency, and they have, a, like as we already mentioned, a youth issue. So they have to hit in the draft. They have to hit on both. They got to do it. Two qu- they just got to do it. They got to do it. They got to hit on both. <laughs> They're both important. You got to hit them both. I have two quick things before we get out of here, Jimmy. Do you have any leftover thoughts on the Super Bowl and specifically as it relates to Andy Reid's win? I can't remember. Do we have a podcast? Before, no. No. Okay. Well, I'm very happy for Andy, of course. Yeah. Mahomes is awesome. <laughs> like he didn't. Very have, good. He didn't have his best game, but uh, you know, in that fourth quarter, I was thinking kind of most of the way through that game, I was like, yeah, they're still gonna win this game because he's good, and mm-hmm. uh, he came up. Did you see the the video of him where he, uh, you know how like uh, Foles went to the sideline? He went, you you want Philly, Philly? Yeah. Well, uh, did you see the video of Mahomes calling the? Um, the uh, post corner route to Tyreek yes. Hill. That was pretty cool. Just to, if you guys haven't seen it, uh, just to quickly explain, they had a play to, I think it was also to Tyreek Hill, where um, uh, they called it a catch on the field, but uh, Shanahan challenged it incomplete. And that, you know, gave the Chiefs time to kind of talk about what they were going to do. And it was, a th- it was a third and 15 upcoming. So after that uh, that call got overturned, it was third and fifteen, and uh, Mahomes was talking with uh, Eric Bieniemy on the sideline. Bieniemy was calling the plays, and uh, Mahomes said, "How about I forget the name of the play that they called? It started with an S, I think. Whatever it was, um, they said let's run that." And Bieniemy was basically like, "Okay," and they ran it. Mahomes was saying, "Do we have time to run that? As in, like, do we have? Are we going to be able to get this? This am I going to be able to get this throw off?" Because um, the the play essentially requires like three or four seconds of time for the for the routes to develop, but he called that play the the play that they hit big down the field, not the one to Watkins down the sideline, but the one that was deep down the field. And the throw that he made on that play was crazy. Like I remember thinking it was a good throw during the game, but they actually showed how far it went and like how his feet weren't totally set and he was getting hit as he threw it. Really, just an incredible throw. Like he's the best player in the world right now. It's pretty good. He's not he's not too bad, I would say. I, yeah, so same thing, obviously, happy for Andy. So, like, growing up as an Eagles fan, I kind of had a complicated relationship with Andy Reid, I would say, because, like, he was just kind of the coach when I became a fan. Like, you know, it wasn't like we both started this together. Like, he was already there. Yeah. So, like, the attachment level wasn't necessarily the same to me. Like, he wasn't, like, I wasn't, like, the biggest Andy defender when he was here. But uh, but I'm happy for him. You know, I thought it was good to see. Uh, You know, he, he just deserved it. It was, it was like, just do it already, Andy. You know, it was time. And he did it. Got it done. So... Uh, good for him. And the final thing I have here, Jimmy, before we wrap up real quick here is your disastrous take on ice cream. <laughs> you put out these ice cream rankings. I don't I didn't even want to look at it like again because I was just like, what is it was just, someone sent that to me. Uh, sorry, I'm forgetting who it was on Twitter, though. And they're like, you guys need to talk about this in the podcast. And I was like, I don't even want to look at this list. Like I, I glanced over it once and I was like, what is happening? I don't even know what's going on here. Like, what is what is this amalgamation of just I, I don't even know what I was looking at. <laughs> <laughs> What's your problem with it? Uh, well, first of all, the biggest problem to me 
personally. No, a lot of people, I didn't know there were so chocolate. many Briars. I didn't know there were so many Briars haters out there because I had a Briars product number one, and people were like, "Briars trash." I don't, I don't um, understand that at all. I mean, maybe I grew up, I grew up on it, so like maybe that's why I like it more than others. But people were like livid that I had a Briars product number one. I had Briars vanilla well, punch twirl as number one, which is awesome, frankly. And you're a terrorist if you don't think so. <laughs> there, there was no mention of my favorite flavor, so obviously that made it a bad list. Which would be like a some. There's no. Where's the love for peanut butter? Like chocolate peanut butter. That's the best flavor well, okay, so combination. That's, that's in uh, America. No, it's not. Never mind. It's See, Ameri- I think it's caramel. That's a fair point. I, I like peanut butter. Yeah. too. I gotta look up the ingredients of America. So I had Americone Dream number two. Hmm. Americone Dream is uh, that's the Stephen Colbert one. How do you feel about a Choco Taco? They used to have those in the Eagles press box, by the way. Ah, that's right. I was never there for that though. But uh, they're okay. They're all right. You know. Yeah, they're, they're fine. right. What about chip? I had one from like that same family because that's that's a good humor product, I believe. Mm-hmm. So number three, I had you know cho- a good humor chocolate Claire bar. They're pretty related. The Choco Taco in that bar. Right. American Dream, by the way, is uh, vanilla ice cream, which with fudge covered waffle cone pieces and a caramel swirl. I mean, come on, please. How do you not like that? I do agree that peanut butter <sighs> is missing. <laughs> yes, I think that was that from, was the, the biggest from my list. Thing not not from American Dream, but from my from my right. List. That's fair. Anything else, Jimmy? That's a fair critique. One thing I also will mention about the Chiefs, by the way, like they were like my sort of like my uh, like I, I grew, let's let's just be honest. I was an Eagles fan when I when I grew up. Like I don't know why mm-hmm. you can get into a, you know this business without being a football fan and having rooting interest in one team growing up. But I was an Eagles fan growing up, and sort of like my like my when I was a kid, I'd have like you know that sort of secondary team. Whenever like the Eagles were crappy and like they're they were done for the year, and that secondary team was like was the Chiefs, because I liked mm. uh, Christian Okoye, the, <laughs> okay. the, the Nigerian nightmare, and I liked nice. uh, uh, Derek Thomas, and I would use them in, uh, in Tecmo Bowl. Yeah, I liked I liked those two players a lot. Derek Thomas died, and, and, and like uh, uh, but Christian Okoye used to just like run people over, and in Tecmo Bowl, like guys would come up to him and they would just fly right off of him. <laughs> like it was it was awesome. So uh, they were sort of like my secondary team. Like, I don't root for them or anyone else really now. I remember back in the day, like, rooting for them to win. And they had some, like, really bad, like, disappointing losses in the playoffs, much like the Eagles did in the early two, like in the early 2000s. The Chiefs had a lot of those as well, where they were, you know, the one seed or, or favored to, to make some noise uh, in the playoffs. And then they never did. And then even last year, they would have gone to the Super Bowl, had, like, D Ford not jumped off sides. So it was in addition to seeing Andy Reid get over the hump. Like I, I sort of had a, a pretty good knowledge of uh, Kansas City's uh, history in terms of disappointing defeats in the playoffs, and it was good to see that city get over the hump as well. Did you see their parade, by the way? It was weak. It was weak. <laughs> it was like like they showed one shot of uh, like you know like in the beginning where like the car jumped the guardrail or whatever, and it, it, like they did you see that where they they the cops like corralled this car. I saw it happen. Yeah, okay. So, for whatever reason, I wasn't really focusing on that. Like, I was looking at the uh, the crowd there, and the crowd there was, like, 10% of, like, any point along the Eagles parade route, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Like, like even, like, the the, 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 the like the areas where there was maybe a little bit of a break in terms of mass amounts of people, it still just paled in comparison to the Eagles' entire parade. I remember, like, how did you get to the... Uh, did you go to the parade? I don't remember. I did. I actually stayed over. Uh, so I, 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 I you, took you, a train you down. You were in the media area for that? No, I oh, took a okay. train down to the city the night before uh, the Super Bowl. And I stayed over with James Seltzer, good friend. And went. we walked up to uh, Friday's. Okay. Right along uh, JFK. Okay. Because WIP was set up there and I was hanging out with them. So I got to watch gotcha. this parade okay. from up there. Okay, so you had some space to like walk around and stuff. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, like, I was in the main media area, like, uh, in front of the Rocky Steps. But, like, before we got there, we took a bus from the Novacare Complex all the way up Broad Street, basically the parade route, all the way up Broad Street to the to the Rocky Steps. And, uh, I mean, there. this is before the parade was even, like, set to start for, like, another couple hours. And there were people lined up. Like, it was packed already, like, two, like two three hours before the parade was even going to start. 
and like i'm like <laughs> i remember like you know it was like you know those old uh bus windows where like you, you push the two things in and then you pull it down you know what i'm talking yeah. about so like yep. it was one of those like i'm hanging out the bus and like well i guess like people saw the buses and for some reason they confused that maybe for like oh there might be players in there so like you know <laughs> they're cheering at the buses or whatever and like i rolled down a window i'm like give me a beer like people are like just throwing cans of beers to me <laughs> <laughs> so uh yeah like uh it's funny because like i'm sitting like right in front of like ray dinger and he, he probably thinks i'm like crazy <laughs> <laughs> on this bus well uh, he's right <laughs> but uh yeah even even like two or three hours before this parade was was going to start like it was just so packed along the entire route and to see like the kansas city, and like kansas city obviously is doesn't have the number of uh people that philadelphia does um mm-hmm. And I don't know how compacted their, like, I don't know how long their parade route was or anything like that, or how, you know, how much time there was, you know, in the shots mm-hmm. that I saw until the parade was going to start. But the number of people there, I mean, it was like nothing by comparison. This has been BGN Radio. <laughs> I have been Brandon Lee Gowton. You can follow me on Twitter at Brandon Gowton. You can read my work at bleedinggreennation.com. That has been Jimmy Kemsky. You can follow him on Twitter, Jimmy Kemsky. Read his work at Philly Voice. You can win a bobblehead if you leave a review and a rating of BGN Radio's podcast here. So give us a review, and you can win that Jason Kelsey slash Travis Kelsey bobblehead. And we will have a winner for you by the next time we do our podcast. So make sure you listen to that episode next time to see who the winner is. And until then, this has been BGN Radio. We'll talk to you next time. Goodbye, everybody. BGN Radio.